The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet Dr. Dr. is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome back to Autism Live Live. We are so excited to be back live with you. It is Wednesday, April 21st. And if the year is 2021, we are here with Dr. Doreen Grampiche, and she is live with us right now. In fact, in just a few minutes, she's going to start answering questions that you guys sent in. We got a couple of questions that came in in the night that we're going to hit first, but start sending in your questions now because we are live on a bunch of uh, a bunch of different uh, formats. I got to do one quick disclaimer that yesterday afternoon, some of you may have seen that we went live for, for a few minutes and you probably thought, what is happening? Um, we were actually filming a training. And so I was pretending to be a mom, which, you know, please, I don't have to pretend that far, right? But we were talking about my son, Nathan, who was a mythical child. And we were doing this training that's for supervisors. And I was with Jen Yakos. And of course I was left in charge and made us go live. So. <laughs> the buffoon that I am. So for those of you who are like, I don't understand why she was only on for five minutes and why was she talking about her son, Nathan? That is why. It was a training. From time to time, I get called upon to film things and to portray different, like the angry mom who's upset about things or the mom who is having trouble with something or the mom who doesn't, who wants to ask this question. And it's a role I play well. And um, and we make up mythical, I think for a while yesterday, I had a daughter named Vera and I had a husband who didn't want to participate. And, you know, um, because there are lots of scenarios out there. And so I was, anyway, that's why, that's what was live yesterday. So for those of you who saw that and were like, I don't understand. Um, in any case, we are here today and we are live on many platforms and we're, and we're not pretending to be other people. Uh, just want to be clear about that. So uh, there are lots of ways to write in. You can write in. Uh, right now we're live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and our homepage, autism-live.com. We're also live on about 10 other sites. Uh, I'm sorry, it might be more than that today. I'm not 100% sure. And then later on, we're going to podcast this episode to every place that you get your podcasts for free. We are a free download. And we love being available to you in that format. If you want to search our back library, this is our 10th year being on the air. 
it's craziness, I know. Um, but if you would like to go back in time and look at some of the earlier videos, that they're all available to you on our YouTube channel and on our homepage, autism-live.com. You can search by topic, by speaker, uh, by date. Like, I, I, If there's any other way you want to search, let us know. You can also search Ask Dr. Doreen by question, which is really fabulous. So you can say toilet training and it'll show you all the questions over the years that Dr. Grant Pichet has answered for toilet training, which is pretty amazing. Uh, we are reminding all of you that thanks to you, we are currently the number one rated podcast for autism and that that is a really wonderful designation for us to have. You know, we're committed here to provide information and inspiration to the entire autism community. That starts with people who are on the spectrum, but it also includes everyone who loves them. I count myself as one of those people. And I know that Dr. Grampuche counts herself as one of those people, but she's also the preeminent expert in the field of autism. She joins us on Wednesdays whenever she can to share that information and inspiration for you. Please write in your questions now if you have them for her. Know that uh, no expert in any field, but specifically in this field, could provide individual specific information. She's going to need to give you information of a general nature uh, that you take back to the expert that has eyes on the situation. But as so many of you write in and say, She's so helpful. And to be able to talk to someone with her level of expertise more than 40 years in this field um, is absolutely an amazing opportunity. And we thank her for being here to do that. So Dr. Grampichet, thank you. Welcome back. I, you, you had a little bit of time off because you had to celebrate a birthday. Yes. We celebrated with, I, I want you to know, we tried to celebrate it a little bit with you and then we celebrated uh, without you on your actual birthday. And I have to get a clip to you because we had a super, I think it was a supervisor who was on and said what an inspiration you were to her and that she especially wanted to say happy birthday because that she was in this field because of something you said. I got, we got to get that clip to you. Oh, thank you. Really nice. Thank you, Shannon. And good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be back. Well, it's our absolute thrill. I'm already saying good morning to Ellen and to Aaliyah and to Parker and to Amazed uh, and Sam Rowit. So if, if you guys want us to shout out to you, please feel free to write in. I'm going to jump to two questions that we had come in in the night. One of them actually came in this morning. And I do, as I really want to get Dr. Grampuche's opinion on both of these questions, but I also want to let everybody know that tomorrow is a very special day on Autism Live. We are going to be featuring this week in our minds is sort of the, the week of the woman. And tomorrow on the show, we're having two, not one, two different women who received their diagnoses of being on the autism spectrum as adults how that impacted them. Um, one of them is a mom and discovered that maybe she needed a diagnosis, um, you know, because uh, a child was diagnosed. Um, and, but both of them are professional women and really intelligent, bright women. I think you're going to love both of them. Uh, but that's going to lead right into this next question um, that somebody wrote in. I'm going to edit a little bit because it's a little bit long. But they say, I'm a 35-year-old female in the process of going through an early intervention neuro neurodevelopmental pathway with my 20-month-old son. 
basically he's been put on a diagnostic process due to strong indicators of autistic traits and a significant family history of autism in males of both mine and my husband's immediate family. During this process, a few of the healthcare professionals involved have suggested that I explore a diagnosis for myself. This is something that has been suggested to me by non-clinicians in the past, but it seems a little more validated now with everything that's occurring. The thing is, I'm not really sure what benefit there would be to getting a diagnosis now at 35 years old. I've had many challenges in life, especially with people, but I feel I've developed my coping strategies and adapted myself to the world accordingly. I'm not entirely thrilled with the idea of being officially autistic either, due to the preconceptions this comes with and the impact it may have on me professionally, as I'm quite a senior role. Worst case scenario for me is that I become more valuable as a diversity quota than as an individual contributor. However, my husband is very keen that I explore a diagnosis as he feels it will help me to understand myself better and also when, if I, I might need uh, therapy again in the future, then I can seek more tailored support. I guess it might help me be a better parent, question mark. Would that actually be the case? Has anyone had significant benefits to getting a late diagnosis? And that is what they wrote. Yeah, so. that's a fascinating question. And also, first, let me start by saying how amazingly eloquent this, right. this writer was. I mean, beautiful writing. Um, uh, so, you know, first of all, let me just say, as a diagnostician, when you get diagnosed, or if you see someone who gives you a diagnosis, that is uh, protected information. So you do not need to share that with anyone. Uh, you can just hold on to that. And the professional also does not have the right or uh, to share it without your permission. So, uh, and that includes everyone, your health insurance, everyone. So that information can be uh, just for your own sake. And yeah, I think if you go to, you, I mean, I completely understand the perspective of not wanting to become just another number in terms of diversity. I get that. Um, and I think you're past the point of it benefiting you in terms of accommodations. Just reading the way that you're writing, I don't really think you need accommodations in your life. It sounds like you've had a very successful life. Um, but I do think that it might be helpful in terms of if you have future questions or go into therapy or want to learn more about yourself, uh, it might be helpful. I'm not sure if, you know, first of all, it, it, your husband will feel like you've done something meaningful. That's good. Um, but if you yourself feel that you might be on the spectrum, clearly it would be more kind of what we used to call Asperger's, which is extremely high functioning and slightly different than autism or ASD. And in terms of just wanting to gain some better understanding, I would suggest that, and also some tools, some tools for uh, helping you in future struggles of life, I would suggest that you read information from, or books from uh, Francesca Happy. Her last name is H-A-P-P-E. Um, and she comes out of Cambridge, uh, the University of Cambridge, and she did a lot of work with uh, Simon Baron Cohen. Whenever I say that, everybody confuses that with Sasha Baron Cohen, the comedian. 
this is actually his cousin he's a scientist in who teaches at Cambridge and they talk a lot about some of the more um, I guess cognitive areas associated with autism uh, and I would also suggest uh, in terms of tools that might be helpful in getting through life I like the work of Tony Atwood who is writes a lot about uh, you know high functioning autism uh, Asperger's and kind of how to uh, what things you can do in life that will help you uh, manage social situations and interact with people. Um, so that's kind of my guidance. I think you should probably, just like anyone else, it's always good to have more insight into your own strengths and areas of difficulty. Uh, but as in terms of the diagnosis, that's a, that's a private decision. You don't have to share that with anyone. Yeah, what an incredible thing to remember. Because I think we all feel like, well, you know, if I get diagnosed, I need to make it everybody else's business. And you can. That's yeah. certainly a choice. But it's also equally true that, you know, that can be very private information that you don't share with other people. But I think you'll see, I really want to encourage you to watch tomorrow. I think you'll see the point of view of two women who did go get the diagnosis and what it did for them and how, you know, that has helped them. I think this is a question that comes up a lot now. Um, there have been a lot of things that have been in the forefront. You and I have actually talked about this before on the show, Dr. Grampy-Shea, that, a, you know, when somebody discloses that's in the public eye or they see somebody who's going through something and it's not as stigmatized, then everybody goes, oh, perhaps that's me. I think that every single parent, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I, everybody that I've talked to said that when their child was diagnosed, they at least recognized themselves a little bit in the diagnosis. And then we all went, wait a second. So does that mean that I'm on the spectrum? Yeah. I certainly asked that question. My husband certainly asked that question. Um, but, you know, there is that spectrum. Uh, and and we're, we all have some of the traits that are listed on on the, am I wrong, Dr. Grampy-Shea? No, you're, that's exactly where I was going to go, Shannon. And thanks for bringing that up. So, you know, we all have traits of some of these different, uh, I guess, classifications of disorders, right? Uh, we all have, let's say, so not all, but some people are very, let's say, obsessive about things being a certain way. Um, others have difficulty with uh, people getting too close to them. Others have sensory issues. We, you know, many of us nowadays have sensory dysregulation there's we all have different aspects of it or we might all have different aspects of not just autism other other mental issues as well but the definition of what's classified as a disorder and i don't like the word disorder but you know that's that's what we call it um it is basically that in order for something to be a disorder it has to uh, produce it has to result in you being dysfunctional in one of two environments you're either your home social life or your work's educational life and so you know i always use the uh, example of um, alcohol abuse or alcohol dependence as as one example i you know you could drink a bottle of scotch every day but as long as you are a functioning adult, go to work, your family is happy with you, nobody's having any kinds of issues. Hey, maybe you just have really good redox and <laughs> you wouldn't be classified. 
the, the classification of a disorder comes from not being able to manage uh, in, in life. And so having some of the symptoms doesn't mean that you have the disorder. And that's really, really important. Like with autism, it is important to have the required number of symptoms within each area. And so that's the difference. But I do want to say this, that, you know, a lot of the things that people struggle with that lead them to say, I don't know, I might be on the spectrum or I might have a sensory processing issue, um, that that there are a lot of things that can be done to help those things. Yeah. Um, and yeah. even as a 35-year-old adult, I think that sometimes just shining a light on something, I mean, perfect example, I, I love... Um, uh, Dr. Stephen Shore, he he identifies as being on the spectrum, and he is a wonderful professor at at a, at a esteemed university. But when he started working there, he said to them, "I'm going to have," and this was years ago when maybe it was a lot less okay to be casual. He said, "I'm going to have to wear a baseball hat when I lecture in my classroom, because you have fluorescent lights above, and the fluorescent lights, if they come down over my eyes, I can't concentrate. But if I wear a baseball hat, I'm fine. I'm good to go." And again, it was a time when that really wasn't acceptable. You, uh, professors didn't wear baseball hats in, in lecture halls, but they said, sure, okay, do that. And then he was able to do his job. I think a lot of times, if you, don't, if you didn't know that that's what your issue was, if you didn't know that that's what's bugging you out so that you can't concentrate, what would have been lost? Like yeah. Stephen Shore and all that he's taught so many people over two decades would have been lost. So that awareness of himself and going, I can't do it when the visor isn't there and there's lights, you know, that awareness allowed him to be successful in his life and to help other people. So I do think that shedding some light on stuff and going, oh, is that why I'm having a hard time with that? So what could I, what could I do to work around that? Or what could my partner do to work around that? I think that can be life-changing and that's what I've heard from people. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Sharon. I think you're, you're absolutely right. I, I hear a little echo, that's why I'm stopping. Um, I think that it's important if we have, if we need accommodations, that we are able to ask for those accommodations. There's no question about that. And that, uh, Stephen's example is a great example of an accommodation. That is not such a big deal and anyone should be able to allow that, right? Um, and I think that is a very important part of this. Uh, so for this uh, mom who has written in, if you feel that there are accommodations that you might need and they would definitely be more acceptable once you have the diagnosis. But on the other side, there's a little bit of a stigma associated still with the diagnosis, believe it or not. And it's a very strange thing to me. Like, it's people have very little understanding of what ASD is. And so there's a very quick uh, rush to judgment, uh, as this mom uh, noted. I mean, this past week, I did a few talks for large, large uh, national companies uh, on diversity and acceptance and so on. And it's really, and a lot of the, the slides that I presented were asking people, you know, hundreds of people on these presentations, just kind of stop for a moment and ask yourself, when someone says they have a diagnosis of autism, 
what is your immediate reaction? Uh, do you immediately think they ha they're incapable? Do you immediately think, oh God, like they're gonna do something strange? Do you, what are the things that people immediately jump to? And those are the problems, those are the problems. And it will take a while for us to uh, get everyone to uh, understand that, uh, or to value, I should say, the strengths of autism just as much as those areas that are different. You know, I ended, I think, one of my talks with people with autism are different, but so are we. Everyone is different in one way or another, right? And if we can, it'll take a while before people stop thinking more of the negative stuff and start thinking, hey, by the way, also people with autism, some of them tend to have incredible memories, which are way better than the rest of us. You know, that kind of stuff. So I can completely understand. And as you know, we have uh, a lot of individuals who were children when I treated them and they're now adults and they don't want anyone to know. And I completely understand that because um, they would rather not be grouped in some classification. They don't feel they belong. It's tough because you, you don't know where you exactly belong. You know, you want to belong in this group and in this group. And it's like, there's, it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a hard thing. I just want uh, to disclaimer though, that um, I think that we can all be asking for things. You don't have to disclose what I just was giving advice to a mom the other day about IEPs. And she was saying, I get so overwhelmed in the IEP. And I said, Oh, I learned a long time ago that if you read me something, I can't. And then ask me my opinion. I have a hard time. It takes me too long to process it. So I always ask in an IEP when it's important and I need to know, and they're just going to read a report to me and then ask about my child and ask me if that's okay. It's never going to work for me. So mm -hmm. I say to them, I don't, I just, I don't process information, you know, uh, orally that way. Can I have it written please? And I'm, you know, I'm not disclosing a diagnosis or anything, but I'm advocating for myself and saying, here's what I need. Um, and I used to think I wasn't allowed to do that. And now, now I see, I've learned from all kinds of people that if you need an accommodation, if you know yourself and you're like, ah, it's not going to work that way for me, that you can ask. And especially if you ask in advance and you're compassionate about understanding what they need, then, you know, um, that, that self-knowledge is, uh, can be a really good thing. But I totally agree that, uh, you know, Temple Grandin has said to us recently that, her advice to professionals is to not disclose mm. because of the current climate that that, and she said, I feel terrible saying that, but, but she said, I've seen too many stories where somebody disclosed who was already at a position in their work. And then everybody looked at them different. And she said, until we can get the rest of the world caught up, I I'm just telling people don't disclose hurt my heart, hurt my heart. But, but I think she's right in the interest of the individual. I think, that it can be very difficult unless you're with the right employer. I, I think she's uh, right too, Shannon, because changing people's judgments takes uh, a few generations. You know, like we look at, just think of, you know, there are a lot of people still from an older generation who might judge someone based on their sexuality, for instance, right? So it's the same. It takes a while for people to become more open-minded and understanding of things. And we're not there yet with autism. We aren't there yet. Um, okay. And then another question that came in uh, last night. Uh, 
from a different person, my partner thinks I'm faking my autism and always tells me I'm being mean and rude literally every day, all day. And I try to explain that I'm not trying to, it's just me and I'm, I am unintentionally monotone and blunt. He thinks I manipulated doctors into getting a diagnosis and that I didn't start showing autistic traits until after the diagnosis even though I got more comfortable being myself, but whatever. What do I do? I've tried explaining everything and I'm reaching my breaking point. I want to feel loved and accepted and not like I'm being forced to change who I am. I've sent articles, we've had talks. I even started therapy. He won't accept me, but I love him. Will I ever find someone to accept me and not bully me? He makes fun of all of my special interests how do you break up with someone? I don't know what to do. And I'm sending hugs that devastates me. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a tough one, but I have a couple of different things I want to say about it. First of all, we all kind of need to be in relationships where we feel accepted and loved. So I completely, let's start there and say, we, we acknowledge you. We understand where you're coming from. And I, I, also give you a, a hug for that but in addition to that i want to say relationship is a two-way thing and Shannon, you said something at the as we were discussing the previous uh question at the end of the the discussion you said you know accommodations are important as long as they don't infringe on the other person's uh, or some you know as long as you're kind of thinking of the other person's rights as well and that is, I think, in some ways applies here as well. So, you know, you, I think we, it's not about the diagnosis for, for this second question. It's not really about whether or not you have the diagnosis. It's about, uh, are there things that he can get better at accepting? And are there things that you can get better at changing? Um, because when we're in a relationship, we, we uh, compromise. We compromise and in order to keep the relationship, in order to be loved, in order to be accepted, we both have to work at it. So it's absolutely not okay for him to make fun of your hobbies because those are your hobbies and you should have the right to, to do whatever you want to do as a hobby as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, right? Uh, and But it's also, uh, you know, not a, it, it would be nice and it would probably be very, uh, useful to you if you were to learn how to be less blunt and maybe a little bit more cautious in how you communicate with him, uh, because that's something you could do. So I think it doesn't matter whether or not you have an autism diagnosis, you know, it's just about making sure that those things that come with the diagnosis or with our, or who we are, right? Diagnosis is kind of part of who we are. Um, is it something that's going to let you functionally and adaptively live in society? Or do you need to work on making some things change? This gets into kind of the bigger discussion, Shannon, of, um, you know, individuals who feel that if you have a diagnosis of autism, for instance, you should just be accepted and uh, treatment or wanting to produce, provide therapy to someone who has autism is inappropriate. And I've always said, it's a choice we make, right? It's like, 
I might have a trainer because I want to lose weight. That's just, that's my choice. So I actually have someone who helps me make a change within myself. Uh, I might have a teacher who's going to teach me a different language or to play this, whatever it is. Or I might have someone who's going to help me not lose my temper and get angry or whatever it is, right? And that is exactly the same no matter what your diagnosis is. If you want to uh, have, if you want to change something within yourself that is going to help you have a, a smoother journey through life, then that's up to you. And you can certainly get help with that and, and make that change. Okay, wonderful. And I really appreciate that. Uh, I want to acknowledge that Iron Boy has uh, written in and said, I have autism and every day I've been doing a prayer with the Lord to be at peace with myself. Uh, he says, what I've learned is that some people cannot be fair with autism because some people can't be wrong. Um, and he says that he has a better memory than his parents, uh, which I think is, you know, often the case that of course, this is this is where it gets into that, what I call the duh moments, is that um, if we could just get the world to understand that individuals with autism are individuals, and just like the rest of us, they're going to have some things that they're great at, and they're going to have some things that are challenges for them. And as you said, that if something is a challenge for them that they would like to improve upon, then that is a choice. Right. But the understanding of that they don't have to be good at the same things that you're good at, right. um, that that's how the world is supposed to function. We're not there, though. A lot of people feel that, well, if I can do this, then you should be able to do this. And that that isn't fair in any realm, whether we're talking about autism or something else. Um, if I was expected to do what you do, I couldn't do it. Um, and, and while I suspect that you could do what I do, right, there might be parts of it that would be harder for you um, than they are for me, right? Um, so I think, you know, if we, if we truly want to be accepting of ourselves and others, we have to understand that everybody, as you said, everybody's different. We all are. Yeah. And that that's, that's a part of this journey. Uh, okay, I want to go, go back. But it's also about what not just what we can and cannot do, but also what we want to do. In other words, you know, there are some individuals, uh, not even on the spectrum, who don't really like to socialize all that much. They like to have their own hobbies and they're perfectly happy, perfectly happy. There's no reason for those individuals to actually get help in any way, right? But if there's an individual who's struggling on or off the spectrum, I don't care, and they're thinking, I have to figure out some better ways to have a social life. Then they need help, right? So it's about what we want to get out of life and whether or not, uh, you know, therapy of some type might help that. And I have to say, I think that that's what makes you so amazing and so unique because not everyone shares that point of view in the field. Um, and so it's one of the many reasons why I adore you. Um, they want to know, uh, can Dr. Doreen share some ideas on how to teach my child to talk about things other people did in the environment? He can only talk about what he did, even though he did it with somebody else. Yeah. So, um, there, you know, there's, uh, that's one of our early lessons actually. 
So I think uh, for a parent who is writing in about that, um, it, the best advice I can give you is to go on skills and uh, skills is where we've written out our entire curriculum, right? And that's one of the lessons um, tell me about. And there's a lot of different steps to this. It's very, very basic. You can, I, I just suggest you go there. I mean, I'll, I can tell you the steps, the very basic steps are uh, make it a smaller activity at home. Have the child, for instance, uh, go get something. Go bring me a book. And when they come back, you ask them, so what did you do? And they'll tell you. And then you'll watch something together on TV and you'll say, what did you know Ernie do? And they'll be able to tell you. And you just start to help them differentiate between what, you, what they're doing themselves and what a third character is doing. But I've made it, I made it sound very simple. And if you go into skills, there's a step-by-step -step series of guides as to how to describe someone else's behavior. Um, and uh, also something, you know, something you should know about autism is that it's a lot easier to describe something that has, that is visually in front of you that you've just seen or that you have a visual prompt but it's a little bit harder to describe something that was in the past that occurred, let's say, in school. So there are a lot of prompts and, and ideas we have in skills where we've listed how the child can actually remember a series of things. It's easy enough to teach someone to say, you know, I, we went to the park with dad and then we did this and that. But one step is easy, but what if, how about if it's 10 different things and getting them in the right order and then describe. So all of that is detailed in skills um, and there's skills phone number right there. And um, I, I really, really recommend it because I swear, when, if you're a parent who's asking this question, once you get on skills, it's Disneyland. Like there yeah. will be a thousand things there that you'll want to teach your child. Yeah, and so let me pause for just a second and tell you our weekly uh, um, update for skills. Um, <clears throat> there's skills and IBT. IBT is, stands for the Institute for Behavioral Training. And together, um, they are offering you guys weekly things during the pandemic for free. So this week for ABA caregivers and guardians, um, they're offering you a free IBT e-learning course that's titled Parent Starting to Teach. So if any of you are like, I would like to teach my child something, but I just don't even know where to begin, or you're frustrated, or you wanna know the secrets to why sometimes people are just so good at teaching your child something, this is a great ideal one to start with, starting to teach. In a second, I'm gonna remind you of the phone number and what you have to do, So, but I'm gonna tell you everything that they're offering this week. For educators, and for a lot of caregivers, I'm telling you, uh, Teacher Appreciation Week is coming up in two weeks. What better thing to do than to get your child's teacher hip to IBT, give them a free e-learning, and they're offering stuff for free right now. So um, for anyone that's an educator, but as a, a caregiver, you can, you're an educator, right? Um, there is the educator module getting started for classroom, which is ideal. A lot of you are going back into the classroom after having not been in the classroom for a year. It's a great thing to give your teacher. They are also continuing to offer their registered behavior technician 2.0, that's RBT, 
2.0 training course, and that is free for parents on a case-by-case -case basis. You have to call and ask for it. It's a 40-hour course. It's like a $440 value, and then you would know all the beginning things that therapists are taught on their way to getting their registered behavior technician certification. And they are also offering you 10% off of any skills product if you say that you saw it here on Autism Live. Um, so the number that you call is 877-975-4559. Again, that's 877-975-4559. And you call and you say, I saw it on Autism Live. I need some help, support. I want to I wanna get these free things um, and tell them what you need. They're really lovely people. They are currently still working from home. So be patient with them. If you are watching from overseas and you can't call the 877 number, please email me directly, s.penrod at autism-live.com. And when you do that, what I will do is forward it over to the person at Skills and IBT who takes care of that. Again, I would beg your patience because I'm seeing that it takes them on average a week or so to be able, because some we, we do the show and a bunch of you write in, it takes them a while to get through them. After a week, if you haven't heard anything, please feel free to email me again because we want to make sure that you get what you need. But I'm I'm Skills and IBT's biggest fan, so I think it's a really fabulous thing. Uh, okay, so Aaliyah wants to know, my two-year-old brother with autism has 20 words and echoic control. How can I reduce his vocal stimming? Uh, great question. And uh, did, it, did it start with... A brother? Is this a sibling asking the question? Yep. My oh, two-year-old brother. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that's really nice that you are involved with your brother's intervention. And it is very, very good news that he's just two years old and he has all this echoic ability. Echoic for our viewers is being able to imitate speech. Um, I would suggest that don't focus on the uh, the, you know, stopping him from echoing things that you don't want him to. Don't focus on the negative. Work on the increasing other aspects of speech because as you do that, the, the echolalia is what we call it, goes away. It just gets less and less. But you have to fill him with additional language first. And so does he mend? Manding is the first kind of form of, of language or speech, which is asking for things. Um, so, and that would be just basic things. If he's two years old, it's pretty early. So we're talking about things like juice or the name of toys or foods that he wants, etc. And then from there, you go on to teaching him how to tact which means label objects. So then he would just be going around the environment and tacting things. And the more you teach appropriate, useful language, then once you have kind of a toolbox of all this appropriate, useful speech, then you can use it to kind of replace the time where he's echoing. But right now, I wouldn't worry too much about the echolalia. On, uh, I, when, if it bothers you, if it's disturbing you when he does echo, sit him down and start trying to teach him to mand or tact. And again, as Shannon said, the places where you can learn how to do that, go on IBT, the Institute for Behavioral Training. And there are lots and lots of modules. You can choose uh, whichever ones you want, but there's 
basic ones that are just for parents or uh, family members, and they can uh, they specifically focus on how to teach manding, how to teach tacting, and they're short. They're videos, and so you can watch them and really learn how to do that. And every time you see him echoing something from the past or from other some other experience, you can sit him down when you have time and work on some productive therapy to get him to to mand or tact. Wonderful. And I just want to say, I don't know how old this sibling is. I don't know whether this is a teenager, an adult, somebody who already has a career, but I see that often with this level of interest and wanting to teach your brother, if you, if you haven't already found a career, uh, if you don't, you know, uh, CARD is hiring therapists and they want good, inquisitive, smart people who want to learn more about how to light up a child's world or how to light up a teen's world or how to help an adult to be able to get to the things that they want in life. So if you are old enough to be working, you know, let us know. Uh, Ellen has written in on Facebook and said, good morning, ladies. My twins are 21 now, but for years they had ABA with CARD. I'm so thankful for CARD. Ellen, I'm oh, so thankful. Thank you. you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy. Yes. Missy uh, has a question. My 10-year-old son has such a difficult time paying attention to any class in school that he doesn't have any interest in yet. When he is interested in something, he learns it to an extreme. How can I help him learn the subjects he isn't interested in? Sending Missy a hug. Yeah. And isn't that uh, very typical of all of us? <laughs> right? I, I was just going to say, I, I, I identify with so many of these questions. I'm like, Absolutely. I don't like to learn things I don't want to learn either. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Who does? And, and let me just... Uh, you know, go take that path a little bit further. So there are lots of things that we don't like to to uh, learn, right? Uh, why do we do it? Why do we go ahead and learn those things? Why do typically developing kids go through and struggle and struggle and they do whatever they can to get good at math or science or writing or whatever it is that is difficult for them? And I think the reason they do it is because they have contact with other reinforcers for doing that. So this is what's, it's always about the reinforcers. Like I always tell parents with, uh, with uh, a lot of our typically developing kids, they do things that are very difficult for them, either because they want to make you proud that you're, you're um, uh, you know, giving them a uh, kudos and like giving them some sort of toy or reward or acknowledgement is important to them. Uh, or they do it because they know that the long-term reinforcer is, I will get my degree, I will pass this class. Or they do it because their peers are watching and they want to be accepted amongst their peer group. These are all reinforcers, right? These are all ways to access reward. And with our kids, they don't really, sometimes they don't have those things. Sometimes our kids uh, just aren't that interested in getting social praise. So, um, and they don't have the ability to look at the long-term reward of, oh, I, if I finish this class, then I can actually move on and with my peers because the peers may not mean that much to them. So it's all, it's all about giving the individual reinforcers that are accessible and meaningful. Uh, 
So you have to, as a parent, figure out what are the things that are very valuable to your child. Um, could be anything. It could be, you know, going to the zoo, visiting a friend, visiting a grandparent, uh, going to the grocery store and getting a lollipop, whatever it is, and make it contingent on uh, those particular uh, classes that are hard, those areas that are hard. So make sure there is a reinforcer that the child can access if they pay attention to the thing that is difficult for them. At the same time, um, that's called, so what we just talked about is consequence control, right? We change behavior by changing the consequences and the antecedents. So the consequences, make sure if he, that he gets a really meaningful reward if he pays attention. Antecedent control is get help for him. Get him a tutor or get you yourself help him with those particular subjects because as something becomes easier, we tend to pay attention to it more. Uh, and when it's very hard, we tend to kind of block it completely because we don't want to address it. Okay, um, I got to hit this question. Somebody wrote in, Positive Child Development wrote in and wanted to know, please, what is best to enable speech? And then the three choices they gave you were PEX, Makaton, or Sunrise with three question marks. Okay, so that's a great question. Uh, I apologize if you hear my dogs barking in the background. Not sure what's it's going 2021. on. It's 2021. That's, that's part for the course. Not sure what's going on. Um, but so, okay, so let's talk about those three things. So PEX is Picture Exchange uh, Communication System. PEX, Picture Exchange Communication System. And that is based on icons. So these are little pictures that you as, uh, so the child would give you a little picture or would point to or put in a book uh, in order to get make themselves understood. So I, I want a juice. They would start with taking a picture of a juice and handing it to you. So that's kind of how they start to communicate, right? By exchanging pictures. Um, Makaton is a, uh, it's a type of sign language. First of all, it is, uh, it's, a, it's nationally the same. So it doesn't change if you go to a different region or country or something. It's just one series of signs. Um, and it is not really intended to be used for someone who is completely nonverbal. Uh, it is supposed to be used for people who are somewhat verbal because, and then you pair these signs with the vocalization, okay? So that's those two things. Sunrise is a completely different thing. Sunrise is a uh, program. It's not necessarily a communication uh, technique or, or something that will enhance communication. Sunrise is a program that has to do, that is based on kind of the concept of uh, you want to interact with the child, but you want to interact in a way that you enter the child's realm of activities and you try to draw out uh, certain interests from the child so that you and the child are now interacting with each other. It's not known for enhancing, enabling speech. That's not Kind of, it's not focused on enabling speech unless the, you know, it would only really enable speech if the child was verbal but was choosing not to speak. 
So now going back to your question, um, I myself like pecs a lot. If I was to choose, I would like pecs the most because iconic communication can also be paired with speech, right? So you can say when the child gives first, first of all, it's easy. And what's important for me is that when a child starts to communicate, I want to give them the easiest way they can communicate because I don't want them to struggle because if it's difficult, the child will just choose not to communicate and will tantrum instead to get what they want. So it's really important that they be given a system of communication that is easier than, than you know, having a challenging behavior. And PEX is easy. So, and then the second part of it is that it is, uh, you know, universally recognizable. Unlike sign, where you need to know the signs, right? Everyone understands the picture of something, right? So it's universally, it's a language that I, all of us would understand if someone gave you pictures or icons, you'd look at it and you'd immediately know what they're trying to say. Whereas if they sign, you might not know that language. So in, uh, Makaton and other sign forms, forms of sign language to me are a little bit harder because you're limited in your audience, okay? Now with pegs, as the, you can, as the child progresses, you can absolutely not just, ex, you know, not accept only the icon. You can certainly pair it with a vocalization. So you can say, if the child gives you, let's say, the picture of, of juice, you could require that the child also imitates juice. And then gradually you could use the picture as a prompt for the child to start saying those words. This is a pretty complicated how I'm going through these steps. I apologize. But if you uh, essentially, I think there, there are steps within PEX where you can begin to use it in a way that will actually enhance speech. But ha having said all that, you know, you, you need to get your child into ABA because that's where you are, are going to learn. To, your child is going to learn to imitate uh, speech and is going to learn how to request things, manding, and is going to learn how to label things, tactic, and is going to learn how to talk about things, introverbals. And so it's just, it's a whole process. And you kind of need to go through these uh, processes in order to get speech to get going. Uh, repeating, imitating speech is probably your first step. Okay, and this nicely brings us to, we got about five questions that I feel can be answered all at once. Parker wanted to know uh, about autism, and, or excuse me, about um, ABA and the history of ABA. We uh, Carmel had written in and said that ABA, I don't wanna put words into her mouth. She says, ABA is dangerous as it's compliance-based therapy. This leaves autistic people incredibly vulnerable to abuse. Uh, there are times that compliance isn't appropriate. They need to know that they don't have to put up with an unwanted touch, which I completely agree with, but I don't agree with your first uh, statement about ABA being dangerous, but let's talk about that. And then our sibling wrote back in and said that she's not old enough to uh, work for CARD yet, but she would like to know how to get her mom optimistic for her two-year-old brother. He uh, And she says uh, that she told her mom that him talking right now is a great sign. So I feel that all of these uh, come under the heading of let's talk for a second about the difference between ABA 
and quality AVA, because you know I love to talk about that with you. Because uh, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that there is a difference. I I'm going to let Dr. Grampuche talk about this, but I want everybody to know where I'm coming from. My son had the best quality ABA that there is. Believe me, if you know me, you know I'm the most paranoid mom that there is, and that I'm not teaching my child to just be a yes man. Um, that I want him to be able to do the things that he wants to do and to be compliant when appropriate, but I wanted him to know when was appropriate to be compliant and when not. So, you know, one of the first things he learned was, was how to say no um, and how to appropriately and when appropriately to say no. So please know, I'm right there with you, that people, people need to know at their boundaries and to be able to say that's a boundary and that my son was taught those things through the therapy that he got at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. My son, when he came in the door, was considered moderate to severe and he had had language, lost almost all of it. So he had no functional communication when he came into the door to card and he is about to turn 18 and off to go to college to be television and screenwriting program. That's hard to get into that. So that's where I'm coming from. That's what a good quality ABA and he's hilarious. If you missed a week ago, Thursday, he was on the show. You can see him and, and see, you know, who he is now. And he's been on the show several times he loves his privacy, but he steps forward every once in a while. So you guys can see how he's doing. Um, so good. I, for the, for the, the teenager who has the brother, I hope your mom hears these stories and feels the hope because at two, there's every reason to hope that he's got his whole life ahead of him, but it's now she needs to get him some early intensive quality ABA. And now I'm going to let Dr. Grampiche talk about what that is. Yeah, absolutely. We could talk about that. But I do want to say to the sister who's, uh, who's concerned about her mom, uh, try to get your mom to uh, view a film we made called Recovered. It would be helpful. It's very uplifting. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can also just look at segments of it on YouTube. So that would be very good. Um, okay, so uh, ABA, uh, so uh, ABA, let's just very quickly talk about this, is very basic. It's, it has to do with, uh, you know, changing antecedents and changing consequences in order to change behavior. That's what it is. So uh, first thing that happens in ABA is that we identify what behaviors need to be changed. And uh, there are some behaviors such as speech and so on that need to be increased. And then there are challenging behaviors such as hitting others that need to be decreased. And what we do is we essentially prompt or uh, model for the child uh, how to speak and how to play and how to socialize. And when the child does that, we reward it. That's the, pos that's the teaching side. And on the challenging behavior side, uh, we remove rewards when a challenging behavior occurs. And we only give those rewards when a positive or adaptive behavior occurs. So that's good ABA. And it is really very much based on what the whole family wants for the child. There should never be anything that makes the child or the parents feel extremely uncomfortable if there is, there needs to be a discussion about it. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. I, had, I was actually looking at videos of two-year-olds yesterday 
um, because I'm trying to look and see how identify the important things for two-year-olds in their program, right? In our program at CARD. And uh, I saw a child who would, it was at least 10 times in a 30-minute video, uh, the every time the child wanted something, the child would throw a massive tantrum um, and mom would figure out what the child wants. So the child would scream and throw herself on the floor and cry and so on and so forth. And then mom would say, okay, I think she wants music. And then would give her music. And next time the child would do the same thing and mom would be like, I think she wants the other toy. And I'll give her that. Then the child would do the same thing and mom would be like, I think she's thirsty. And so what happens in that kind of scenario is that the child learns that their tantrum is a really effective way of communicating, okay? So obviously we don't want the child growing up thinking that tantruming is the appropriate way to communicate. So that has to change. And when you wanna change that, what happens is you let the child tantrum and you don't give the child what you think they want in order to stop the tantrum. You allow the child to continue tantruming and you only give the item you want to give that you think the child wants if the child is calm and or somehow requests the item, for instance, touches it or uh, indicates that they want it through an icon or through a vocal imitation or some other form. But bottom line is that phase where we instruct parents to not give in, that's the phase that's the most difficult. And that is the phase where a lot of parents feel like ABA can be cruel. And it's not cruel. It is just about giving rewards for the right things. Because every time you reward a, a tantrum by giving the child what you think they're trying to get, the child is learning, that was effective, I'm going to do it again. So that's kind of where I think a lot of uh, people misunderstand what ABA is about. High quality ABA increases rewards doesn't decrease them, actually gives tons and tons of reinforcers. I always tell parents, if your child's in the first stage where they're going through a tough time and like there's a lot of challenging behaviors and they're tantruming and you're being told to kind of back off, that's when we need to really increase rewards for other stuff, right? So we do a lot. In fact, there's a, a type of uh, intervention in ABA which says just free reinforcers whenever he's not tantruming. So there's a lot of reward involved. It's a reinforcement-based therapy. It is not a punishment type of therapy at all. Hopefully that explains it. I Yes, and I love that explanation. I, I so appreciate when somebody writes in and says, you know, how important it is to, um, to teach our kids about appropriate touches, because I feel like that that's a super important thing. But I just want to be clear, you know, because the statement is ABA is dangerous. And I just want to be clear that ABA isn't dangerous. People doing ABA wrong has the potential to be dangerous. And that's why it's so important that we continue, all of us, to be a mouthpiece, um, that we be vigilant, that we make sure that, you know, we're getting the best quality ABA, that we report people if they are doing things that are inappropriate, um, and that we be at the forefront as caregivers, reminding people that our kids are individuals who deserve respect 
and you know their individuality deserves respect. But I, you know, I go back to a couple of different things. Um, you know, that I find that one of the things that I explain to people now, because you know, Dr. Grampichet, the people will look up ABA online and then they get to see a, a, a video. And if you know what ABA looks like, you understand the video that you're seeing DTT and you understand how it goes into a program. But if you don't know ABA, what you see is somebody sitting and saying, you know, the child's got something in front of them and they say, touch car. And then the child sort of robotically touches the car and they go, yay. And, and you go, what is that? That just looks like bizarre. Mm -hmm. But what I started saying to people is if you were going to learn ballroom dancing <laughs> and you went to go do ballroom dancing, they wouldn't just put on music and go, let's feel it and let's samba. Um, you know, the first thing that they do is that they put some, some cutouts of feet on the floor. They don't have the music on and they go, okay, let's practice now. Put your foot on the one, put your foot on the two. Now that is not what it looks like when it's done. Right. That, but it's step one. And what you're doing is eventually you, it just like driving, like anything else, a skill that you learn, that's got many steps to it. Eventually it becomes yours. Right. And you do it with your particular flair, but you got to start somewhere to learn. So what I love about ABA, which looks weird. And at first, with well, the first time they were doing it with my son, I was like, oh no, what have we gotten ourselves into? I, I said, I remember saying touch car. I want him to go to college folks touch. Car. We're never going to get there, but we did, we did. Um, but, but once you've seen it, you understand the arc of it and go, okay, that's just step one. And step 35 is this. And at step 42, it's his. And he does it in his way. And it's okay that he does it in his way. And now he has that skill forever. Just like driving the first time, you know, when I was, I was like, how do you remember to look in the mirror? Oh my gosh, it's just too much. It was so overwhelming to me. And now I don't even think about it. I'm looking in the mirror, I'm talking, I'm chewing my gum, I'm singing, and I'm, you know, I got the phone going, right? All those things are going on and I'm driving. So I just want to remind everybody that when you look at videos of ABA, uh, it's not, it's not everything. You're seeing step one and two. It'd be like watching the instructor go, put your foot on the one and put your foot on the two for the ballroom dance. But we, you know, if you don't get to see the end result of what it looks like when they're dancing to the music, you missed out. So stick around. Uh, we're out of time. We're past time. And we had some questions that came in that I'm bummed that we didn't get to. But I'm appreciating um, that so many people are writing in and saying that they love ABA and that their child is, their children are doing really well. Um, so, and so many people are writing in and talking about their good ABA stories. And I also am loving that the sibling said that their two-year-old brother has 30 hours of ABA. So that's a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. I'm loving this sibling. It's amazing what you've done. Good job. And keep tuning in because we want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. And eventually you'll be old enough to come and be absolutely. a therapist. And, um, and that will be very super fun. Uh, but in the meantime, you'll be a really good therapist for your brother. But I don't want to leave it without saying that 30 hours is great because he's two. But by the time he's three, ideally, he would be at 40 hours, correct? Yeah, yeah, and it depends always on how fast the child's learning. So if he okay. goes really fast in the first year, who knows, 30 might be enough, but let's see how he does. I'm just so amazed that he just started two weeks ago, I think I read, 
And the sibling is teaching him things like saying what he wants before he gets it. And I'm, you're going to be a great therapist one day, my friend. Good job. Yep. Yep. Very good job. Hey, you guys, we're back tomorrow, as I mentioned, with two lovely women, adult women who were diagnosed later. Uh, we also have research on Friday. So many of you have written in and said that you wanted research uh, about listening therapies like Tomatis and Baralt. That's happening on Friday. Let me not leave without saying that Temple Grandin is live with us on Tuesday, and I'm taking questions right now. We're only taking questions early. Not you can write in the day of, but I'm take I, we we pre-picked the questions for her beforehand. Please write to me and tell me what question you would like uh, me to ask Temple for you on Tuesday, and then we'll be back here with Dr. Grampy Shan Wednesday. It's gonna be fabulous. All right, much love to all of you. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye. Bye. And thank you, Dr. Grampy Shea. Thank Bye-bye. you, Bye. Bye.